Hi, everybody. This is Stephanie. <laughs> and that's Steve over there. Oh, I am not a host of this show, though. <laughs> yes, you are. So, no, welcome. Welcome, welcome. What are we welcoming them to? We are welcoming them, welcoming them to the first official episode of Raised by Television. So, tell us a little bit about... I decided that we should do a podcast about the 1997 list from TV Guide about the 100 best episodes of television. There is a later uh, list in 2009, but I decided to stick with the 1997 list because this these would have been the shows that had more impact on us growing up since yes. this... This Particu- whole endeavor is called particularly, Raised by Television. Particularly the episode we're going to cover today. How What an impact that had on us. <laughs> Eight and 12 years before our respective births. <laughs> right. So, um, yeah, it was kind of out there. <laughs> and we were able to not find it on a streaming service, but we did find it on YouTube. And it is available for everybody to look at YouTube. And the episode we are covering today is episode 99 of TV Guide's 100 Greatest Episodes, it's Untouchables, The Untouchables, Season 2, Episode 1, The Rusty Heller Story. And real quick, for those of you who are wondering why we started at 99, it's because we did the backdoor pilot on a accompanying, well, not really an accompanying podcast, another podcast under the same production company called Anodpod. So go check out Anodpod, pause here, go pause. out there. Listen to the backdoor pilot for Raised on Television, and then come back and listen to this. And episode 100 is the prom video from Friends. Indeed it is. So, first of all, anything that you want to tell our new listener? (laughs) I'm sure we'll get one. I'm sure of it. Mom, I really appreciate you being here. (laughs) It's like Uh, we do on all of our podcasts. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I mean, I think that this episode... So TV's still relatively young at this period. Um, people are, nobody I think probably has a color TV and most houses, I shouldn't say most, many houses don't even have TVs yet here. Um, this is broadcast, originally broadcast on October the 13th of 1960. So the country is getting ready to have a presidential election where their choices were... Richard Nixon and John F. Kennedy. So I thought we were doing a trading the words. <laughs> oh, sorry, I got too not. excited. <laughs> I had to say Kennedy. So it, this episode sort of is—I don't know. I think that the country changed profoundly after the 1960 election, um, and this episode sort of is a. F- representation of what I think old-timey stuff was like. It just feels old-timey, and after 1960, I think that there was a more a sort of a freshness, a life that was breathed into things. And so this, I don't have the whole mi- list memorized, but this is one of the probably most film noir ones that we will see on the list. Oh, I would imagine so. So yeah. it ended up, and, and again, this was 1997, so there's a whole lot of really good television that came after that. Um, do you think it was placed appropriately on the list? Um, yes, I do. I think I can understand why the people like this episode, and I also can understand why it wasn't higher. 
Okay. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what went on in the episode and okay. then maybe talk about why you feel like it's should be on the list at all. Well, I'd also like to set the scene a little bit about 1960. Our number one song in the country is Mr. Custer by Larry Vern, a uh, rousing battle uh, march parody about the Battle of Little Bighorn. <laughs> Which had just happened, not <laughs> right. before. Right. Which the paint wasn't even dry on the sign yet. Um, fun little fact about that: the only survivor uh, on the uh, United States side—I'm making air quotes—was uh, a horse named Comanche, who is uh, was taxidermied when he passed, and is currently housed at the University of Kansas Natural History Museum. That's super creepy. <laughs> I know. There's nothing natural about that. <laughs> no, Ed, you can actually see where he was shot because he was shot seven times during the Battle of Little Bighorn and yet survived. Good for him. <laughs> you just said good for him like he had any choice in it. The number one movie in the country was Spartacus. Gas was 31 cents per gallon. Which actually sounds like quite a bit. It does. You would think that it would be a lot less, like 10, 10, 12 cents a gallon. I don't know. But I'm not a economist, an economist, but yes. So this is where we are in time. So the episode opens up with uh, Walter Winchell giving narration. I, I just I just looked at a quick calculation. 31 cents in 1960 would be $3.14 today. Wow. So, yeah, yeah, wow. <laughs> We're not that far off. I think I looked today and it was 321. So, also, I did want to throw one other thing out yeah. because you talked about this being the kind of the film noir uh, program. What was one of the top movies released in 1960? I don't know. Psycho. Oh. So, so we had an appetite for the noir. Right, right. right. Um, but at any rate, I just wanted to throw that out there. Yeah. I thought that was really interesting. But no, please, with the uh, with, uh, little episode background. Uh, so the episode begins with a narration by Walter Winchell. And if you don't know who Walter Winchell is... We I, can't help you. I, I join you in that. <laughs> I mean, I've heard his name before, but I, I really don't know anything about him other than he's sort of the stereotypical high pants, fast talking guy. Like the story opens up, see, and there's this dame, see. <laughs> so that's what we start with is uh, for our narration. And he talks about Elliot Ness and the untouchables are trying to bring down Al Capone's empire. So there is a Capone is sort of crumbling at this point in time. Uh, his, the government's on to him. The untouchables are constantly messing with him. They're going to get the ledger pretty soon. So ugh, things are f like the wheels are coming off the uh, mobster train over there. So there's new people moving in. And the character we focus on is Charles Pops Felcher, who came from New York to Chicago uh, with his entourage and his lawyer, Archie Grayson. Now, it's important right now to understand that Archie Grayson is played by the guy who played Larry Tate, <laughs> who was the boss on Bewitched. And our main character, Rusty Heller, is none other than the incandescent and wonderful Elizabeth Montgomery. <laughs> so 
She is wonderful. And then, of course, you have as Elliot Ness, who... Elliot Ness is played by the one and only Robert Stack, who would go on to haunt people our age. (laughs) (laughs) And a little bit younger with Unsolved Mysteries. (laughs) Right. That's funny. Um, And just as an aside, there are a lot of recurring characters in this, his untouchables, that we don't that I don't know because I'm not familiar with this television series. Right. Yeah. This, this wasn't, you know, when Stephanie talks about these, this 1997 list would be the one that, that maybe mostly influenced us having it go all the way back to 1960. For those of you who don't know us clearly predates both of us. Mm -hmm. And I don't recall, I don't recall the untouchables being widely in syndication. So no. And I never knew that there was a TV show until the movie came out. Oh, okay. And my okay. mom and dad were talking about it. And then when Unsolved Mysteries came on, they would talk. I mean, it, you know, Entertainment Tonight talked about how Robert Stack had been on The Untouchables. Okay. So another notable guest star who plays one of Al Capone's bookkeepers, I guess, is none other than our friend Norman Fell. Mr. Who Roper. Who's Mr. Roper on Three's <laughs> Company. Um, he does, I just, he does an exceptional job in this. Um, one of the, we have a lot of the podcasts I listen to have sort of rating systems for things that they watch. And one of our categories that we'll be rating these episodes on is, um, sort of the cast and the guest stars. And I'm just going to go on record right now saying that the guest stars in this episode and cast get a full 10 for me. Because they do a phenomenal job. Well, and, and you know, the, having the, the benefit of being able to look back into history and see what they did after this. And right. The char- and the diversity in the characters that they played. I mean, you're talking about going from the Untouchables, where you have Elliot Ness and his FBI going after gangsters. And and then you have Larry Tate and, and Samantha Stevens. Right. <laughs> Who later go on to play a sort of harried boss at an advertising agency and a witch (laughs) (laughs) and her cousin. Uh, That's right. That's right. I forgot. Her cousin, Serena. That's so funny. So, So, which by the way, bewitched is unfortunately not on this list. I know. I actually, there was a a while ago, people were asking like, do you prefer, it's kind of like the ginger Marianne uh thing. Like, do you prefer um, bewitched or, I dream of genie, and I'm like, there's a no-brainer. That is 100% bewitched. Well, I I would agree with that, but I love Barbara Eden. Oh, and I love Barbara Eden too. I, I had actually the opportunity to see her in, in live theater, as opposed to dead theater. Right. I'm not quite sure. Live theater, um, and she was so gracious mm-hmm. and took time to talk to the audience. And by the way, she's like 147 years old, and she is hot. Still a smoke show. Oh my god, yes, she is. She ah. just turned 90 and, and she is in fact a yeah, smoke I, show. Yeah, and, and I, in no, I, I, in no mean by no way what in trying to be degrading no. whatsoever. I used to talk about somebody who clearly has taken good care of themselves. I'm 54 and look like I died six <laughs> years ago. So <laughs> no, she is just, I dream of looking that good when I, I didn't mean to say I dream of genie, but I mean, I dream of looking that good when I'm 70, let alone 90. Oh, so assuming that I live that long. Ugh. 
So <laughs> at my present course, I'm not sure I'm going to make it to Friday, but we'll yeah. see. We'll see. So this mobster shows up. They have a party for him, and uh, there is a instead of a person jumping out of a cake. There's a string that he pulls on, and he pulls Elizabeth Montgomery, sorry, Rusty Heller, through <laughs> this paper, like heart, and she tries to cozy up to him immediately, and there's not, there's not, they're not having any of that. So, because that was thwarted, she immediately turns to his attorney, Larry Tate, <laughs> Archie Grayson. So, as soon as she, like, makes her move on... Archie, he is 100% all in. He's like here for it, 100%. So there's a lot of, it kind of gets confusing because she is with Archie, but she's trying to get with Elliot Ness. So she's playing both sides of this crime enterprise against each other. But it makes sense then, because she had to have been sleeping with Larry Tate, because I don't Mm -hmm. see how Darren could have possibly kept his job all these years. Exactly. He was pretty (laughs) incompetent. (laughs) So she's actually having a relationship with Grayson. Uh, That's the lawyer. Then eventually she starts having a relationship with Pops Felcher, who's the mobster. And so she's uh, she's getting around. <laughs> she's she's active. She's doing some things. She's active. But what she's doing is she's trying to get money out of every single one of them to further her own agenda. But the synopsis that we that you were talking about on this untouchable site uh, leaves out some important stuff because this whole story hinges on the fact that Pops Felcher is really not who he says he is. He's actually a Greek immigrant by the whose last name is Pondus, who was in a car accident with the real Pops Felcher, but then assumed his identity and took over sort of his criminal enterprise. So because he's a Greek immigrant, he's in the country illegally. And Grayson, the attorney, is using that against Felcher to sort of, I don't know if the right word is like sort of worm his way into things get money from him he's not really blackmailing him but he has the paperwork that proves that pondus is here illegally and just as an aside i don't think anybody really was checking papers back then but i mean it's a good story (laughs) so she gets the papers about the immigration from grayson but she charges Pondus $250,000 to get to have her get the papers for him so he can get rid of Felcher. And in today's dollars, $250,000 would be the equivalent of $4.9 million. I'm fine with either number. <laughs> right. If, if I'll somebody, take yes. both. <laughs> and she is working the character that Mr. Roper plays because he's... Um, in bookkeeping and she's able to get like pages away from him. And so she charges him a hundred thousand dollars to get his pages back, which in today's money would be 1.9 million. (laughs) (laughs) So the rate return, what is it called? Rate of interest um, between 19, when this story was set, which was in 1931 is uh, 1,895%. 
Wow. Yeah. So things were cheaper back then. I wish I could go back to then with my salary today. Right. And clean up. And live like a queen. (laughs) (laughs) But what would happen in that Freaky Friday scenario is I'm sure that I would come back today with the salary from then. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, what are you talking about? There have been days where both of us had that salary. Right. There are days both of us would have killed for that salary. Right. Yeah. A penny for your thoughts? Absolutely. <laughs> Take it. Soul. So Soul. she's having an affair. Grayson figures out that she's having an affair with Pops Felcher. And Felcher gives her a beautiful Russian mink coat. And she is super excited about it because she is... I'm not so sure she has real feelings for any of these gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. But... Grayson, the attorney, has figured out that she is cheating on him with Felcher. So Grayson tells Felcher's wife about it, and she shows up and takes the fur coat away from her. Well, that's rude. It's very rude. And Elliot Ness is still, like, hanging around. It's a, it's a trap to get Ness, but she realizes that she likes Ness, so she kind of warns him. I don't know. There's lots of machine gun fire. It was... <laughs> It was a lot. At one point in time, they're back at her apartment, and they have machine guns, and they just strafe the entire hallway. And her neighbor pops out, and she's like, well, they're going to have to put some plaster over that. And the neighbor is none other than Hope Summers from The Andy Griffith Show, who played Aunt B's friend, Clara. Oh, sure. Who made the pickles that didn't taste like kerosene. (laughs) And she's actually been, Hope Summers has been in a ton of stuff. Uh, probably most notably and terrifyingly, she was in Rosemary's Baby as one of the Satan worshipers, and okay. you can see her naked. So, <laughs> I'm good, thanks. <laughs> That's a boner killer, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> That's a boner killer right there. Oh. So, Rusty is mad at Grayson, the attorney, and Felcher, the Indian giver, because he thinks that somehow. You he took. You didn't honestly just use that phrase. Did yes, you? but I did because it's important. Okay. Fulfill it later. Okay. Um, I just want to make sure we're not losing people immediately. No, 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 no. no. And it, please don't don't turn off because I said that because this actually goes into our rating system, and I think you'll enjoy where we go with that. Um, she plots revenge, so she agrees to marry Archie, but only to get access to the papers that have been used um, to keep Felcher in a partnership with the attorney. Then she wants to ransom back the papers and to square her debt with Felcher. She sets him up with Capone's death squad in return for another cash payment. I'm sure you can imagine this goes poorly. (laughs) Shocking. There's a lot of moving parts in here. Um, Eventually Felcher figures out that Grayson is not working for him, but sort of working against him. And he cuts his tongue out. Oh, yeah. That's pretty graphic for 1960 television. Yeah, it was. This part was actually really intense. Like, I thought, is he cutting? Is he slitting his throat or is he cutting out his tongue? And later you see him with a handkerchief up to his mouth, which, you know, I'm glad I did that in a visual medium. This is not. And it also (laughs) muffles my sound for the microphone. So enjoy that. It was you know. for my benefit. I didn't understand what she meant by put his handkerchief in front of his mouth. <laughs> yeah, I thought that really needed some explanation. I'm like the guy with the semaphore bringing the plane in the last five feet. So, <clears throat> where was I? The handkerchief in front of his mouth. Okay. So, he cuts out his tongue, and we presume that he is dead. 
And then Felcher takes the money from Rusty Heller, who's Elizabeth Montgomery. And she's like, he's like, you're going to sell me out, eh? Because there's a little high pants, fast talking going on. (laughs) Although with sort of what's supposed to be a Greek accent, which is a little hit or miss. (laughs) And I can say that with some authority, not a hundred percent. Then Elliot Ness's people run in, they start shooting. So Felcher runs out and his guys leave. They leave Rusty there on the floor. Like they've taken the money. She's very sad because she had all this money and now she has no money. Um, She has no coat. She has a boyfriend with no tongue. And they kind of like, he says, I'm going to make sure nobody ever does kissy kissy with you again. Before Elliot Ness and them come in, Felcher is like with the knife with Elizabeth Montgomery. And you don't know if he's going to cut out her tongue or if he's going to disfigure her face. But he's like, I'm not going to kill you. He's definitely going to do something to harm her instead. So she runs to Elliot Ness. But what we didn't count on was that Larry Tate finds a gun on the floor because, you know, there's just been... I don't know, 87,000 bullets exchange, gunplay, there's guns everywhere. He picks a gun up, he shoots Rusty in the back, and she dies in Elliot Ness's arms. That is the story of the Rusty Heller story. So you had said that that phrase, Indian giver, was important. It was, because we're going to do what's called a very special rating scale, where we look at story, we rate on guests or cast, like the cast or the guest stars, um, we'll see if these things pass the Bechtel test, which if you don't know what the Bechtel test is, it's to see if whether or not a female character speaks to another female character about anything other than a man. Oh, yes. Um, talk about costumes. And lastly, we're going to talk about, are you giving me an ism? Which is where the Indian giver comes in rather than saying whether this aged well or not. We're looking at the isms that we <laughs> Saw in television like racism, sexism, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, is this giving me an ism? Yes, it did. Indeed, <laughs> indeed. But as bad as it could have been, that was the only sort of really bothersome ethnic thing that I saw in it. Well, and, and you're right. I mean, from 1960, in the backdoor pilot we did on a non-pod, mm-hmm. that episode of Friends was from 1995. Is mm-hmm. that right? I think so. And it did not, it had far more as far as not aging well plot points than than this did. Right. I will say that there is absolutely no one in this episode that is uh, a person of color, but this is 1960. So we have to sort of meet these shows and and time where they are and and i think it's fundamentally unfair to judge them based upon today's standards we're not condoning anything but you have to again i i think that's the the absolute best way to put it and that is meet it where it is and and where it is is in 1960 america Mm -hmm. what do you think the intent of the untouchables was do you think it was to promote because elliot ness joined the Justice Department in 1929. And mm-hmm. I said FBI actually worked for the the Prohibition Bureau or Wasn't whatever. Wasn't that part it was of the called. Treasury Department? No, I think it was, I, I do think it was oh, okay. the Justice Department. Um, but what do you think the intent was? Because that was 1929 that, that he, the real Elliot Ness, joined. It, it, was it strictly entertainment? Was it propaganda for the Justice Department? No, I don't think it was propaganda. I think that America has always been fascinated with outlaw culture 
uh, cowboys, that kind of, you know, running up against the law, but not necessarily breaking it. And if there's a law that's not necessarily just, well, we might want to skate around that. And so the interplay between Al Capone and Elliot Ness I think is is a fascinating story, and people want more of that. And uh, you know, it's just it's interesting because in in that time frame, you don't have a, today. You can you can find any number of police procedurals, mm-hmm. um, and and I, as my kids know, I'm a huge fan of police procedurals. This was just interesting to me because it's grounded in real life and not mm-hmm. all at the same time. So, um, all right. So you said you wanted to rate on. Story, cast, guest stars, the Bechtel test costumes, and and whether it was giving an ism, mm-hmm. and so you've you've checked off. Yes, it's giving off an ism for yeah. sure. What did you think about the story? It was it was too convoluted. There was too much going on. There were too many characters. Um, like at the very end of the episode, they arrest Felcher. They presumably deport him. This is in the epilogue that Walter Winchell high pants fast talks through. And they talk about how they arrest Felcher's wife for the possession of stolen goods, the goods, a $25,000 Russian coat. So it's like that would have been a good gotcha if we had been able to spend more than 13 seconds on that entire subplot because there was too many things going on because she's, she's working Ness, she's working Felcher, she's working Grayson, and she's working Mr. Roper. And, and they show her at home and it's just it's just too much but I think that that is also sort of representative of those film noir movies of the 20s and 30s and 40s because we tried to watch the Maltese Falcon and I was alternately horrified by it it was just there was just so much it was just too much. So I'm going to have to say that on story, I'm giving this a minus. Too much. Okay. Fair. What about the cast? You talk about cast. Did you did you mean just guest stars or the cast as a whole? No, I Because I think casting is so important. Yeah. As a whole, um, I read a little bit more about the Untouchables and the people that were sort of his TC and Rick to quote, like, to keep a Magnum thing or, mm-hmm. you know, his main people and... It's a very well-casted, it's a very well-acted show. It's so much different than what we see now that it seems almost stilted. But, again, we have to meet this where it was, and I give that a plus. Okay. And the guest stars were fantastic. Great. And I'm sure that that you're right, that the benefit of looking back and seeing what Norman Fell, Elizabeth Montgomery, uh, Harold Stone, who was the one who was Felcher. If you saw him, you would know him if you've watched a lot of 70s and 80s TV. Um, Funny fact, Spartacus was the number one movie on this day, and he's actually in Spartacus, so he was living large this time. But it's just, they're all very, very good. Well, and and, and when I said the benefit of looking back, I don't mean to detract from an individual performance. Mm -hmm. I just think it's neat when you see somebody like Norman Fell or Elizabeth Montgomery, who were clearly comedic actors later Mm -hmm. in life, and they're in a role that's just so opposite of what they were doing and a range that you didn't get to see necessarily. Mm-hmm. So, And if you're interested, you can look up 
uh, made-for-TV movies. And Elizabeth Montgomery's in several made-for-TV movies that are exceptional. So I give that recommendation. Um, your Bechtel test question. Yes, it does. It does pass the Bechtel test. Hope Summers comes out of her apartment and says, I guess they're going to have to plaster that. <laughs> Otherwise, it's very, uh, the only character, the only female characters are the owner of the club that she pops out of the wall in and her servant or maid, whatever she is at her house. Okay. So, yes, and it does pass the Bechtel test. So congratulations on that. Costumes. Costumes. Elizabeth Montgomery wears a dozen outfits in an hour's time. That seems to be a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. And they are all gorgeous. So <laughs> big plus on that one. Oh, all right. And while you were, um, while you were talking, I did look it up because I, I did seem to, I, your question about whether it was a part of treasury rang a bell. What happened is, is after prohibition ended in 33, the alcohol portion was pulled out and turned over from the FBI and the Justice Department to Treasury, where it later became the alcohol tax unit of Internal Revenue Service and ultimately is today the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms. Yeah. So it was it was the precursor to that. Um, but I, I wanted to correct myself. I said FBI, and as soon as I said it, I knew that wasn't right. It wasn't really, wasn't really there as a part of the FBI, I don't believe, so... And just one other thing about the show in general is that part of Elliot Ness's character is that he is absolutely like stone faced. He's always serious. There's never any emotion. It's very much by the book. And according to what I've read, this is the only episode that they ever did of the untouchables that could even come close to being a love story. And it's the only time that Elliot Ness appears to be enchanted by a woman so I think that that also plays into why this is on this list because it's so against type for what he usually did. And um, I think that that, you know, there is range in this as opposed to as usual, just the facts, ma'am kind of thing. Um, so Al Capone, for all of the miserable things that he did and contributed to, um, he also had a couple of other things that he was well known for that can, did contribute to the betterment of society. Do you remember Syphilis? what those are? No. No? I don't believe that's the betterment of society. <laughs> um, he actually started what was largely considered to be the first or one of the first soup kitchens. And provided, I believe, three meals a day for thousands and thousands of people that were residents of Chicago and the surrounding area. He also was a devoted supporter of jazz and mm. provided venues for many African-American artists to perform. So a, a big supporter of, of um, jazz. So for as bad as he was, I do want to at least offer a little bit of credit for some of the good things that he did. Too. I'm glad to know that. I did not know that he did soup kitchens or and what eventually what we call soup kitchens. Right, right. So, all right, what were some other things going on in 1960? So, of course, who won the 60 election should not be a question for anybody. Yes. It was John Fitzgerald Kennedy. See, I did not hog the whole name. <laughs> Um, yes, he won the 1960 election. Uh, on the day that this episode was released, uh, the Pittsburgh Pirates won 10-9 uh, over the New York Yankees in Game 7 of the World Series. It was the first time in baseball history that the World Series ended 
with a home run by Bill Mazaruski. Oh, excellent. And excellent. 1960 was the year of the metal rat. Do I know what that means? No. Okay, because while you folks can't see, I was giving a very vacuous <laughs> stare at Stephanie. Huh? I just assume that it is a little rat who listens to metal music. So uh, he has like big spiky hair, <laughs> sort of an 80s glam rat. I'm sure that's exactly what it was in 1960. So, right. um, so other movies, Entertainer, The Apartment, um, top songs. There were, let's do The Twist was the one that I oh, recognized yeah. the most. Um, TV shows. Perry, I love Lucy. Perry Mason. <gasps> Bananana. Bonanza. My Three Sons. The Untouchables, of course. Um, the Andy Griffith Show. Yay. And uh, the many lives, of, many loves, rather, of Dobie Gillis and Walt Disney Presents. Um, there were, there really, I, there was a lot going on. You look at just what's going on in 1960 alone and the amount of cultural change. You had a group of black students conducting a sit-in at an all-whites lunch counter in South Carolina. Um, what's going on internationally? That was the year that um, U.S. relations with Cuba really started to deteriorate. Mm. Um, Castro had seized U.S. assets. You had the Soviet Union shooting down in a, a U-2 reconnaissance plane. And then you had some, you really had some great entertainment, music, television, book. I just, I, I think, gosh, what an incredible year 1960 must have been. Right. And when this episode aired, Eisenhower was president. When they re-aired it in the spring, Kennedy was president. And you want to talk about a, a dichotomy in leadership. So. Right. And so that's just, I don't know that that calculated into why it was on the list or where it fell in the list. But just from an observation standpoint, that there was a lot of changes going on. <laughs> right. No, absolutely. Absolutely. So fantastic. So what is the next episode that we're going to be talking about? Um, it is. I lost it. It's The Outer Limits. Oh, The Outer Limits. The Zanti Misfits from 1963. We have to get a few up before I, I start to get a little bit more excited about some of these no, episodes. No, I understand. So um, the one after that, you'll be excited about, of course, because it's Little House on the Prairie. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. She's going to be sad. I get so upset about Little House on the Prairie when Mary goes blind. I'm still mad about it. <laughs> I stopped reading the books. I watched the TV show up until then. Then I had nothing to do with it. Oh, I do not gosh. recognize post-sight. Oh my gosh. So if you have not listened to the backdoor pilot that we did, one of the things uh, that Stephanie made clear, we're going to work through this list of 100, but that isn't going to be the sum and substance of, of this podcast. So we'll continue on. There's a, there are other lists that we can kind of pick and choose from. Um, and we can go off onto what our favorite episodes are of some of our favorite programs. Stephanie started rewatching The West Wing for the 75th time. <laughs> um, I started rewatching it about a week ago for at least an equal number, if mm -hmm. not double the amount of time. Um, and we can also talk about some current stuff. Most importantly, though, we would like to get input from listeners as to what you would like. So how would you like them to contact you? I would love for you to send me an email at stephanie at weekendmediagroup.com. And first of all, give us feedback. We love constructive, constructive criticism. Um, neither one of us are dainty in our feelings. No, no. 
Um, and if you want to be a guest star, um, if one of these episodes like really tickles your tickles your fancy or it's your favorite show, I've bullied my way on more than one podcast. <laughs> so Absolutely. We, feel free. We are able, and you don't have to be local to us. You no. can be anywhere. We are able yep. to host people uh, by video and telephonically. So, um, yes. so don't be afraid to reach out. Yes, we would love to hear from you. And, uh, you know, some, there could be somebody who's like a big Outer Limits fan. I was looking to see, there was at one point in time an Untouchables podcast, and I was going to try to see if they would like join us or like cut some, you know, content for us, but the email address doesn't work. So, oh, no. oh, but no. if you're a big Outer Limits person, let me know. Right. Absolutely. And as far as how frequently we're going to drop episodes, if you're a fan of any of our other weekend media group produced podcasts, you know, your best bet is to just subscribe. Yep. So um, that way you'll get notified on your platform of choice that a new episode is dropped. We're going to try and, and regain our consistency uh, over the summer. And uh, in the meantime, we appreciate you tuning in. Tell your friends. Post about us on social media. One of the biggest things that helps is, is if you could give us five stars on your platform of choice and maybe write a uh, review for us. If you can't give us five stars, I'd appreciate it if instead you would write your review to Stephanie so that we can make some changes that you'd like to hear. Yeah, love it. All right. Anything else? No, but if you ever wonder why I'm the way I am, it's because I was raised by television. Thank you.